What's up, guys? We're the PR Girls, and this is our podcast. today's podcast with an introduction from a film titled Choices. The film is dedicated to Megan Napier, Lisa Dixon, and their families. U.S. alone, someone is killed every 54 minutes by a drunk driver. In the last 10 years, nearly 20,000 of those killed were under the age of 21. The number of people suffering the pain of these deaths Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, grandparents, family, friends, and others exceeds 800,000. Here is one of those stories. Knowing that I was pregnant with twins was quite an exciting thing for me. Just an extra special blessing, I thought. You know, because motherhood for me was just um, what I was meant to do. I put them in the same crib, you know, one down at one end and one down at the other end going across the crib. And I separated them thinking that they would um, disturb each other if they were touching. About 15 minutes later, I came in and they had wiggled and wiggled and worked their way until they were touching. I realized, you know, at that moment that the bond that they shared was so um, close. The idea that Megan and I's relationship was just sisters, not to me, not at all. She's my best friend. We had a great childhood. I was the middle child. We were close in age, so um, I think that that kept us close, you know, to each other as we grew up. Every day, the whole family would pack up and go to the beach. We'd pack the cooler and walk across the street, and literally hours were spent at the beach. Megan and I would always be belly up to the cooler, wherever the snacks were, wherever the, the soft drinks were. That kind of became a laughing joke. It's wonderful being the mother of boys because they love their moms. Eric Smallridge is my, my baby boy. In many ways, they've all been the joy of my life, but uh, he was, as the baby, special in a number of ways. He was always the best athlete, probably was the best student with the grades. He was just a tenacious kid, you know, he was full of energy, and um, he was so competitive against even myself when we would play basketball or anything. We went on a lot of campouts. Quite frequently, we'd go out and cook chili, and stay out in the great outdoors overnight and the like, even when they were very young. Rainy was a den mom, I was a cub leader, and, and all of the three boys are Eagle Scouts. Some of my fondest memories of him, honestly, were kind of living vicariously through him in his athletic prowess, if you wish. But he uh, was a four-year letterman for the soccer team at Leon High School. I used to travel with the team on the bus and uh, support Eric, and he was a goalkeeper, and that, that was really cool getting to watch him. 
In high school, Megan and I, and Michelle as well, we were involved with the football team as the football managers. We thought we were so cool getting, you know, to be close with all the football players. And then we would travel with them to the game. Megan and I were always closer with the guys. We kind of had a guy crowd and not a girl crowd. So I think that that might have influenced our ability to hang with the group in college. We, we imbibed. We did. We partied. We drank. Um, somehow, someway, someone would be able to get a bottle, you know, of whatever kind of rum or whatever you wanted and had the most awful mixers together. We had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> you know, Eric got caught up in that, you know, just like a lot of kids did, you know, just like I did. And, you know, with him being so popular in high school, was, he quickly made friends in college and it spilled over into the whole fraternity thing and rushing and, and uh, you know, he did, you know, drink and drive. I think that there were times Megan and I might have made a better choice by not driving each other. Kind of the thing where you look at each other and say, okay, you had one less than me, so you'll be okay to drive me home. And um, not only between Megan and I, that wasn't the conversation, but between our friends as well. And it, it did get to the point where we had to really step back and say, okay, you really had one less drink. You'll be okay to drive, here's the keys. Get us home. Megan and her best friend, Lisa Dixon, were driving home after an evening of babysitting and hanging out on Pensacola Beach. Eric was also heading home from an evening at the beach. He'd been hanging out with friends all day and had just capped off the night with some drinks at a local beach bar. At 2.30 a.m., Eric was at the intersection of Fairpoint Drive and Highway 98, about a five-minute drive from the bar, waiting for the light to turn. His truck was having battery problems, so he revved the engine to keep it from stalling. A white car in the right merge lane beside him mistook Eric's revving as a challenge to street race. Both cars jumped off the line. Eric was oblivious to the white car beside him until it started cutting into his lane. Eric's truck rammed into the back of Megan and Lisa's car, sending it spinning out of control before impacting a tree. Both girls' necks were snapped by the impact. They were killed instantly. Neither Lisa nor Megan had been drinking that night. About 8.45, my sister-in-law shows up at the door and she's standing there and she said, there's been an accident. It was Megan. She didn't make it. And, and my mind immediately began racing about the last time I talked to her. I picked up the phone and said, hey, Dad. And he said, um, I have something I need to tell you. And I said, okay. And immediately, you know, your heart sinks. He said, there's been an accident. It was your sister. And I didn't, he didn't even have to tell me which sister. And that's all I remember. And he said, well, there's been an accident, and it was Megan. She didn't make it. 
I learned what wailing was, you know, from deep down in your soul, this horrible wailing comes out. I said to her, you know, no, you're kidding. A, a million memories, a whole lifetime, just flashes before your eyes and you just think, I thought, oh, does Carmen know? Um, I fell on the floor and I'm assuming that I fainted, I don't know. I woke up in the back seat of my truck and it was in the middle of the road and I had no idea what had happened. I, I pulled the door handle and pushed the door and that's when the glass falls out of the, falls out of the door. And I, I, and I didn't realize until later that I was actually getting out of the back passenger side door of my truck. The officers finally, they took me to the ambulance and they told me they were gonna take my blood and I asked them why. Why do you want a blood sample from me? I, you know, what's really going on here? And they said, well, that's what we're trying to find out with you. And I said, well, a, a car cut me off and I tried to avoid an accident and my truck rolled and that's the best I can tell you. And they said, don't act like you don't know there's two girls dead in that car over there. When they said those words, everything in my life started to kind of flash before my eyes. My own life started to flash before my eyes and I'm thinking, how could this be? How could, how, could I, how could my life have come to this? It's like you're in a, all of a sudden waking up in a nightmare um, and you want it to be over with. You just see all your hopes and your dreams. You see how proud people were of you and how disappointed they're gonna be in you now. And then you start thinking about, well, what about these other people that I don't even know? Blood tests showed Eric's blood alcohol level at two and a half times the legal limit. Part of me knew that I shouldn't be driving, but the other part of me said, yeah, but what about the other 50 times that you've been worse than this and nothing ever happened? You always seem to made it, you know? Uh, one of the guys that was with me earlier that day um, came over, he was gonna jumpstart my truck, and he said, uh, are you sure you should be driving anyway? You know, why don't you just go ahead and leave the truck down here? You know, I have expensive rims and I have some stereo equipment in this truck and I really don't want to leave it here anyway, you know. So, uh, yeah, I can drive. Mike, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. Everything's going to be cool. Uh, I'll be safe. On October 3rd, 2003, Eric was found guilty of DUI manslaughter and sentenced to 22 years in state prison. 11 years each for Megan and Lisa's deaths. Eric Smallridge was a good guy. He had his life in front of him. He made a horrible choice, and the consequence of that choice, we can never back away from. It's there. It's there forever and for everybody. A decision can be so you know, dramatic that you graduate from college in April and in July, you go to prison, and that's exactly what happened to me. The decision to drink and drive that night cost me everything. Uh, I, I, I had high expectations. I had, I had plans of getting married. I had plans of, of working my way up the corporate ladder. Everything that I had hoped and dreamed of kind of was just, uh, it was swept away all in that moment. We prosecute uh, DUI cases very aggressively. We do not plea bargain or reduce a DUI case from DUI to reckless if we can prove it. If you get caught drinking and driving, you lose your license, you are adjudicated guilty, 
that is there forever. It can never be expunged or removed. Mom can't help you. Dad can't help you. Grandpa can't help you. I can't help you. There are consequences for our choices. If you drink and drive and kill somebody, you're going to prison. A prison is a very bad place to be. I've personally prosecuted a defendant for killing another person in prison. And the violence inside prison is really, in my opinion, remarkable. There is violence, um, plenty of it. But, um, you know, you just do your best to stay safe and you just pray that, uh, that your, you know, your family will still be there when you get out. I've lost my grandma since I've been in here. And, um, I know plenty of people who have lost their parents. And, uh, it just, it's devastating. What I would say is, if you're going to drink, and I would urge you not to if you're underage, but I'm not stupid, I know sometimes you're going to do it. If you make that first bad choice, don't make the second one. Don't drive. Don't get in a car with somebody who's driving. Because the consequences of that can be life-altering forever. A guy came to my high school to tell me about drinking and driving, and uh, I was too cool for that. It wasn't going to happen to me. Um, you're preaching to the choir here. Um, I, I just, for some reason, thought I was above that. I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. But now here I am sitting in prison. People have to understand it has a devastating effect on on the families. And, and the remorse that the survivor and the, and the parents of the survivor have for those who were less fortunate and who perished is ongoing. It does not go away. If you make the decision to drink and drive, you are risking so many other lives other than your own. There are family members that you are hurting and bringing into this horrible tragedy. There are so many other people affected by that one decision that you've made. And as Eric Smallridge would tell you, it's a very, very selfish decision to make. Hi. What's up? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you hear okay, me? I just need to turn the volume up on this computer so that I can hear better, but I don't know how to do that. So give me one second. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm good. I just want to make sure they can hear it in the other room, okay? Yep, go check it out. Can you let me know that they can hear it in the other room? They can hear it in the other room. Okay. I can. Can you go in there and just make sure? All right, so I'm sure you guys have figured out now that Eric and I are doing a split screen. And I want to tell you a little bit about why I asked him to do this with me. You heard his story, um, and I'm sure you're wondering how our stories intertwine, and so here it goes. My entire life, you guys, I always felt like I never knew who I really was. I carried a lot of sadness with me for as long as I can remember. Um, 
I just never really felt like I fit in with a lot of people. And even though to everybody else, because I was so loud and outgoing and so friendly to people, people just assumed I was fine. By the time I got to high school, I had carried with me a few traumas, nothing that I really wished to discuss. Um, and I just got to the point where I said, okay, I'm old enough now. Maybe if I run away from here and run towards something, life will make sense and it will make it so that I want to live it versus the way I was feeling every day. So I packed up my car, went with my parents. We went to New Jersey. I spent a little bit of time there um, and it got worse. I felt less like I fit in there. Um, I met a great friend. Don't get me wrong. I met one of the best friends I ever had. But I struggled because nothing was getting better and nothing seemed to fit. So I dropped out of school and I became a waitress and I worked for a year and I raised enough money to basically run away again. So when I was 19, I packed up my car and I picked probably the farthest place away from Boston that you can imagine. And I drove to Tallahassee, Florida. When I got there life got harder. You know, back then I'm realizing now maybe I had depression, but it wasn't as accepted, understood as it is now. So I just lived my life that way, waking up every day and wondering what I was doing, living, because nothing seemed to stick. You know, don't get me wrong. I had a great roommate in college at Florida State. She was a bright, bright girl and she was, you know, very kind. Um, but it wasn't enough. And I struggled with a lot, a lot of dark days. I was really far from my family. I was far from all of my friends. And I was farther away from ever figuring out who I was. After a year, we moved to a new place. And we moved two doors down from this exuberant young man who was from Tallahassee. His family lived down the street. Um, he was younger than us, but he was really funny and he was really kind. And whether he went out of his way because he could sense that I carried darkness or if that was just who he was, he went above and beyond the time we were there to attempt to make his home, Tallahassee, our home. And in that, we would spend time with him. He taught me what mudding is. And if you guys don't know what mudding is, which I'm sure you don't, um, it still doesn't really make a lot of sense to me either. Um, you get in a truck and you drive around in the mud. So from, from my perspective as a Boston girl, it didn't make a lot of sense, but I was willing to do it. And even though I still carried that darkness and I still struggled with life, this boy's kindness always resonated with me because he was trying so hard just to make days better for people. 20 years to the day you guys do your last presentation will be when I graduated from Florida State. And shortly thereafter, I packed up my car, I drove back up to Boston, and I kind of put Tallahassee and Florida State in my rear view. 
Um, I had met some nice people, but, you know, I was just ready to move on from the entire situation. While I was in Tallahassee, I'd made some bad decisions. You know, I made a lot of bad decisions, thinking bad decisions would make me feel good. And I finally got through school and it was time to just forget that I had tried to do all that and go back up and start life again. So it had been 20 years since I'd seen my neighbor. Shortly after my father died, I was visiting my mom and a, a girl I went to college with had told me this story about these two girls and this boy from Tallahassee. And I don't know if it just didn't resonate with me right away or if I just had a lot going on, but I didn't really think about it. And I didn't think about it again until this past summer. Um, I don't know why something popped into my head and I started wondering whatever happened with that situation. So I started Googling. And as I Googled, I found out that the boy that had killed those two girls was my neighbor. And I was one, finally able to like grasp how shocking it was because it's just not something I expected. And on then it made me really sad to think that he was going through that because I knew he was a good kid. I knew that he had so much kindness in his heart. I knew that other people's happiness meant the world to him. And I just couldn't kind of figure out what to do with all that information. So I went down a rabbit hole and I started doing all of this Googling and researching and playing videos and reading articles and seeing, you know, all these different pictures. And I just didn't really know. And then it finally brought me to today. And I started thinking about, sorry, I started thinking about me at 22. And when I think about me at 22, I think about I was that age when I graduated from Florida State, packed up my stuff and turned around. And I realized that I never took the time to thank him before I left for being so kind in a world that didn't feel overly kind all the time. So I gave it a shot and I reached out on Facebook and I sent him a message and I said, I don't know if you remember me. I don't know why I can't get in this camera. Oh, here we go. Um, I said, I don't know if you remember me, but if you do, um, I'm sorry that you went through that. You were always good to me and I would love to reconnect. And of course, in true Kim fashion, I said, and I would love for you to come and speak in my class. Um, because I would never just reach out to somebody without asking for something in return because I'm extremely selfish. Luckily, he remembered me right away, how I don't know, um, and agreed. So I thought, what better way to have him speak to my class than during the lecture about Facebook Live so that you guys can learn how Facebook Live really can be used. So if you guys haven't figured out yet, the kid to, to my, he's right, am I right on the screen, but he's to my left from my dashboard, um, is the kid that you saw in that video who was also my neighbor, who was also my friend. So I want you guys to welcome my dear friend, and somebody I admire very much, Eric Smallridge. Welcome to my class.
I'm very glad to be in class. And Good. So we're going to ask you a few questions if you're down with it. Um, totally down, totally down. Can you hear me good? I can hear you. Okay, perfect. So, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, Crystal. Crystal. Okay, I'm sure one of the girls will come out and tell me if they can't hear you in the room. So we watched the video and it ended. You got 22 years in, in prison. Is that correct? That's correct. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened from that point of the end of the video and bring us to kind of current? Because obviously you're not in prison right now. You're sitting in Tallahassee in a Superman shirt. Yeah, right. Well, the reason why I wear Superman shirts is because like this is this was my mindset when I was young, when I was in my early 20s, 18 through when the accident happened, really. I mean, um, we, we kind of sometimes think we're invincible and that's kind of what I thought I was, as you know, and, uh, as they've heard and seen in the video, I was your, your typical everyday kind of college kid grew up in a, uh, in a good family, um, knew right from wrong. My dad was a military judge. Uh, he was a lawyer. So, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't know right from wrong. It was that I had choices. Even with the knowledge, you know, the difference between wisdom and knowledge is wisdom is the application of knowledge. And we all have knowledge. It's just whether we choose to apply it to our own life. And for me, a lot of the teachings from my parents, from my teachers, um, from people that were older than me, I would see them go through situations. But for some reason, I just didn't believe it was going to happen to me. And that's kind of like what the Superman implies is that, you know, not that I, I really actually thought I was invincible. It was just for some reason didn't think that these things that I knew could happen were going to happen to me. You know, I, I always say, like, we, we sometimes uh, think that the only choices that really mean something are the big ones. Like... Uh, what job am I going to take? What 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 college am I going to go to? When really life is just a series of small choices. Um, you know, like for instance, the alcoholic. He probably back in the day didn't think it was a big deal if he had a drink or two. You know, it led to something. That choices. That you know, that choice. He he took his chances, and over time became that alcoholic, the drug addict. The same thing. He didn't think back in school. It was such a bad idea to go out and, and experiment a little bit, you know, but then it turned into something that he never saw coming. And as from the video and everything that y'all have seen about me, you know that I didn't expect this to happen. You know, the choice was go out on a Friday night, have a couple drinks with my friends, take a chance and then drive home, not realizing that that was going to, you know, ir irreparably uh, disturb hundreds and hundreds of people to crush hopes and dreams, to take human lives off of this earth. And you know what? what's even crazier is that was actually Mother's Day weekend. It happened on the Friday of Mother's Day weekend. And so two potential mothers were, were taken out of this world by a person who never intended for it to happen, who so arrogantly and ignorantly thought, you know, 
I got this under control, I got my Superman on, full effect, and and actually what you don't really realize is how selfish the decision about drinking and driving actually is, because all I was thinking about that night was, man, I don't want to get pulled over and get a DUI. And see, that's where I think the flaw is for me, and maybe others, is that we minimize the true consequences of what can really happen, because who wants to try to wrap their mind around What's going to happen if I go out tonight and kill some people? Uh, do we all know it's a possibility if we're drinking and driving? Yeah, because we know everybody has that knowledge. Do we all know that people die every day drinking and driving? Absolutely. The question is, do you believe it can be you? And that's where my biggest flaw was. Just like with texting and driving now. Do people actually believe that they're going to be the ones that kill somebody else while texting and driving or if they're going to actually kill themselves now if you were if you were able to all the people that died earlier today or yesterday because of texting and driving and drinking and driving if you could ask them did you think it was going to be you what do you think the response would be it's obvious what the response would be because now they are no longer here to answer that question so obviously they they didn't think it was going to be them until it was too late and so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't lack of knowledge. It was lack of wisdom. I, was, I wouldn't apply it to my own life. And so I made that fatal flaw of believing that worst case scenario for me was DUI. Never, ever that DUI manslaughter was a possibility. And that's what they call it in Florida as DUI manslaughter. I know in Massachusetts, they might call it something different. Um, but we... It's all the same. You're still going to, and what I always ask people is, is, do you think that the time in prison is the worst penalty? And obviously the answer to that is no. It's that you have to sit in prison and think about what you've done. You have to think about all the knowledge that you were given and chose not to utilize in your own life. You know, and you, you, you didn't apply it to yourself arrogantly and I hate to use harsh words, but these are the things that I thought about myself for all those years that I spent in prison thinking about it, you know, is uh, we just don't think we're going to end up there. And so, yeah. you know, for me, um, I never, you know, coming from the family that I did, being that happy-go-lucky kind of guy, uh, I never once, even though I was out there getting after it, ripping and running, um, I was still, you know, doing the whole college thing, doing okay. Uh, and the funny thing was, and I think it's important to share, is that this accident actually happened in Pensacola. And the reason why I was in Pensacola is because I did the same thing that you did, Kim. I was trying to run from something, you know, but, I, but the problem was I took myself with me. And so my dad was military. I knew how to make new friends. And, you know, as you know, when you moved in next to me, I wasn't shy. And so... Uh, when I moved over to Pensacola, what I was looking for was a place where I didn't have to, uh, to, to be that guy, you know, like that, you know, we've all heard of peer pressure and, you know, peer pressure is kind of like people, uh, like it, it almost sounds like your friends make you do things like your peers pressure you into drinking or trying a different drug. Um, when the reality is for me anyway, it was more like self-pressure. I was pressuring myself to be cool for everybody else. 
And, you know, I, I just got to a point in my life where I was like, man, I'm try- I'm tired of trying to be cool for you know, um, as far as drinking and drugging was concerned, you know, and being the life of the party, I still wanted to make people happy, but I just didn't want to, uh, I knew it was time for me to kind of grow up a little bit and mature, and it just wasn't really going for me at FSU the first go round, um, and, and so I decided I needed to move, and I went over to Pensacola to a small school, University of West Florida, and uh, started to pursue this degree. Um, I went from business administration to management information systems because it was a little more technical, and they said I had a better opportunity to find employment after the fact. Um, and this was in the early 2000s, so the technology boom was just, I mean, it was in full effect. And so I had all this opportunity right in front of me. My education was paid for. Uh, all I had to do was put in the time. I had to go to class. I had to study. I had to get my priorities right. I had to do less, you know, less social events, more study sessions. But of course, my my social drive took over. That that need to be accepted, that need to to be the life of the party, kind of took back over. But but not nearly as much as it had before. So in my flawed mindset, I thought, you know what, I'm doing it a whole lot less now. That's where, you know, where chances, part of this, part of this seminar, this video is about chances. You know, we take chances. Well, some of us are mathematically minded and we think, you know, statistically, since I'm doing it less, I'm probably, it's probably less likely to happen to me. And so sometimes we'll tempt fate not understanding that, you know, we've done it so many times that statistically you're still right in line with where you were. And so um, I was a senior in college. Uh, everything was looking really good. Um, I mean, like I said, people were graduating right ahead of me, getting really nice starting salaries to move up the chain really quickly. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, looking a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, it, it's a saying that, you know, you, you have this gift, yet, I mean, you just you just let it go because of these choices, these small choices you make that think aren't going to really have an impact on your entire life. You know, like, hey, let's go out for a drink on Friday night. Do you think that's going to wreck your whole life? And I didn't think that was going to be a... Is this a huge choice? I mean, is this a life choice here? I'm going out on a Friday night. Is this really a big deal? Um, and it turned out to be. It turned out to be the biggest choice of my life. And uh, so I went out to a bar. I had a couple drinks with some friends. Uh, and it ended up being, you know, something that I, that I emphasize when I tell my story is that it, it ended up being another person's, um, uh, like, point where they had they had to make a choice and they made the wrong choice too. And I want to encourage everyone to um, really think about your friendships, really think about your, your, uh, your family members um, and how quick we are to let them drive under the influence. You know, we, we go to parties, we see our friends, they're under the influence and you know, we might, we might say something to them, but remember now we don't want to be unpopular and we don't want to, you know, uh, be, you know, party foul, whatever, uh, you know, buzz kill. We don't want to be that. How old are you? Where are you getting these phrases from? All over the place. All <laughs> over, you know, um, over the years of, of just talking about it and thinking about it. You know, I had so much time on my hands. Um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, when you're at those parties, you're in that moment. You don't really want to cause a scene. And so your buddy will be about to get in the car and you might say like, hey, man, 
are you sure you're okay? Well, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, what does your intoxicated friend say when you ask him that question? They're always like, yeah, I'm good. You know, they just stumbled out the door, but miraculously, they're perfectly fine to drive a car. And as friends, we're like, are you sure, man? You know, we'll ask them a question that we already know the answer to. And that's where I want to encourage people is to, if you have a friend, everybody agrees that people die every single day drinking and driving, right? We all know that's a fact. The, the, the question is, the biggest question of all is then why are we okay with letting our friends do it? Why are we okay doing it ourselves? If we truly believe it can happen to us, what are we doing? You know, and, and, and for me, all this happened at one time in my life. I, and it all happened on a Friday night, just having some drinks. Went out, was having drinks. The lights in the bar came on. You know, we're all like, oh, man, you know, like, how many drinks have you had? I don't know. I feel good. You know, they, they don't call alcohol liquid courage for no reason. You know, it'll make you feel like you can do anything. You know, you get your foot. You, you think you have a Superman shirt on underneath your clothes, like, you know, on a regular day. Put a couple shots in you and see how big and bad you're feeling. And so, you know, that's how I was. And it just came time to leave. And I was 24, actually, at the time this happened. So I was a seasoned veteran, you know? Like, that's what I felt about myself. I knew when I should and shouldn't drive, right? I mean, I got this. You know, that's how guys a lot of the times are. Girls as well. We're just like, man, I got this. Ain't no problem. I mean, I've been there. I've been way worse than this and everything was fine. And so... I was leaving the bar that night, and it was almost like an omen. Um, I went out to the truck, went to get in. The car wouldn't start. And, I, you know, at that point, I wish that I would have had the sense to say, maybe I shouldn't do this. But, of course, I had that confidence going. Um, and so and instead of calling for a ride, and nowadays Uber, I mean, we don't have any excuses nowadays. I mean, it's a button away. You know, you can get a ride just like that. Even if your friends are trying to let you drive, you don't need to drive. You can hit a button and you can get a ride anywhere. You Uber out just so you don't have the temptation of driving your car home. You know, and that's one of the best things. Uber, Lyft, all those different services, you know, are, are miraculous in my opinion. Um, I'm just, I don't even know why DUIs happen anymore, but they do because of the mindset or because we didn't intend to drink that much um, and it happened. And then, of course, you feel fine to drive. And that was me. And uh, we didn't have Lyft and Uber and all that stuff back then. So I, instead of calling for a ride, I called a buddy to jumpstart my truck. Because I was like, you know, no big deal. I, I got this. And, I, and looking back at it, I didn't want to be inconvenienced of having to come back and get my truck the next day. You know, and, and of course, I'm never thinking like this is about to lead to some huge tragedy. I'm thinking, I don't feel like coming down here. I'm going out of town the next day to go see my mom. And I don't really feel like, you know, being affected by this. Um, I don't know. Can y'all, can you still see me, Kim? I'm just going to keep on going like you can still see me. Um, so I went out. I got in the truck. It wouldn't start. Called my buddy. He's right down the street. And uh, I asked him to come and jumpstart my truck. And my buddy comes. And uh, we're sitting there hooking up the jumper cables. And I don't know if y'all have ever had a... Um, a situation where you feel like a, a person shouldn't drive and it gets kind of awkward um, and you're, you're like, hey, are you okay? Are you sure? And, and somebody gets a little bit, gives you a lot of pushback. Well, well that was me. You know, he, he, we're, we're going to hook up the jumper cables. He looks across the hood at me. And he's like, hey, man, are you sure you should drive tonight? And I'm like, yeah. 
Like, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. If you could just jumpstart my truck, I'd appreciate it. And so my buddy goes ahead and jumpstarts my truck. And I don't know if y'all have ever heard anybody say this before, but as I was leaving, I put my window down and I said, hey, man, I'll give you a call when I get home and let you know everything's all right. I mean, the best question of all that I always ask people is like, who does that? who is that good for? I mean, is that good for anybody? Like, call me when you get home and let me know you made it up. Could, could y'all hear me that whole time or no? Yep. Can you tell them that you can hear? Yes, they can hear you. Okay. Yeah. All right. So technical difficulties, no worries. Um, and so, you know, the, the question about that is, is we, I've done that a million times where I ask, or I, I'll even ask my friends, I'll be like, you okay to drive? They'll be like, yeah, I'm like, sure. And they'll be like, yeah. And I'll be like, well, hey, man, call me when you get home and let me know you made it okay. But the reality of, of that is, is how much is that really saying that I care about this person? If, if the best I'm going to do is say, call me when you get home. I mean, and really, who is that for? Is that for them or is that for you? I mean, you're the one. Sorry, they're the ones that need help, not you. But you're asking them to do you a favor. Yeah, I do that all the time. And the biggest question of all is what happens if they don't make it home? What if you were the last person on the face of the earth that could have stopped them and the best effort you gave it was call me, do me a favor. And next thing you know, you're at their funeral. I mean, how is that going to play out? Play that out in your mind real quick. And I mean, maybe you'll be less likely to say that to somebody the next time because you're going to go, actually, I don't want to come to your funeral. So how about don't drive? And so that night, Mike jump starts my truck. I roll down the window. I'm leaving. I'm like, hey, man, I'll call you when I get home and let you know I made it okay. And uh, he was like, all right, because he's expecting that phone call later. Well, Pensacola over there is uh, Gulf Breeze. It's a small little area, and almost everybody knows everybody. And so Mike didn't get a call from me because I was envisioning this. You just go out on Friday night. You're just driving home because you got to go see your mom tomorrow. And next thing you know, you're standing on the side of the road. Your truck is totaled out. You've flipped your truck. There's a car that's pinned to a tree, and you have a, a, a paramedic telling you, and a, and, a, and a law officer telling you, don't you know there's two girls dead in that car over there? You know, and that's how I got the news. And I'm sitting there, and your life flashes before your eyes, and the gravity of it all hasn't even set in that I'm now responsible, having known better, for two 20-year-old girls. You know? I mean, the truth of the matter is that I can't even explain to you how that feels. This happy-go-lucky guy, lawyer for a dad, school administrator for a mom, and I'm standing on the side of the road having done what I was told not to do a million times, and there's a white sheet that broke car. You know? And, and, and the crazy thing is, is even the video you saw, it was like, how could this happen? How could this happen? When we all know that we all we all know exactly how it happened. It was the, the the choice to take the chance, and at that point, you you just have to deal with the consequences, and that's obviously not something that was easy to do. I want to emphasize the whole story about Mike driving my truck, and then me, and then being okay with me driving off. 
was he I told you he did get a phone call and the crazy thing is it was from somebody else in Gulf Breeze and they had told him that there was this bad accident and he said he just had a really bad feeling about it and uh, he came to my trial and this is how I heard the rest of the story was somebody had called him and told him there was an accident and uh, he asked him was it a black SUV <coughs> and they said that it was and obviously that's what I was driving that night. It was actually dark green, but he thought it was black. And he knew instantly that he made a really bad choice in letting me drive. And at my trial, they asked him two questions. They were like, hey, do you know this guy? And they pointed at me and he said, yeah, that's Eric Smallridge. He's a friend of mine. And I couldn't believe he was. He said that I was his friend after what he said next. He said, uh, they asked him, they said, well, did you? Did you know Megan and Lisa? And with his head went down and with tears in his face, he looked back up and he said, they were like my sisters. You see, Mike had known Megan and Lisa way better than he knew me. And that choice that he made that night, and I'm not holding this against Mike at all. I, I looked Mike in his face and I said, man, that was my fault. I was the one, you were just doing me a favor. I was the one that was out there thinking nothing bad would happen. All you were trying to do was help me out. And uh, do you think that made Mike feel any better about himself at all? Not at all. He still lives with the fact. He still feels like he's equally responsible because he jump-started my truck. He feels like if I would have done more to make sure you didn't drive, my friends would still be here. You know, and that's why I just can't emphasize it enough that if you truly care about somebody, they shouldn't be driving. They shouldn't be experimenting with heavy drugs. I mean, why in the world would you want to take that chance? You know, that's that's the biggest question. Why even take the chance? You know, there's that, that saying, YOLO. And it's, you only live once. When I was young, there wasn't an acronym for it. It wasn't YOLO. It was, you only live once. And Kim and I were talking about this. And back then, it meant, you know, and I'm just going to be transparent. It meant take a huge bong rip or, you know, fill up a shot. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, hey, just keeping it real. Fill up a shot glass. I had a shot glass about that big. I never did that for the record. That was all oh, him. That was I didn't. Me. Yeah. So I went to church a lot. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I have a I have a shot glass this big, and we would say, you only live once, and you take it back. And then or you're doing a, a keg stand and you only live once. You know, and you're doing that 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 term would come out when you are doing something crazy. Well, after sitting in prison. For years and years and years, that took on a completely different meaning to me. As I sat there, my life wasting away, staring at barbed wire fences, razor wire, guards walking around with guns, watching other people get raped and beat up and having to fear for my own life every single day, I couldn't believe that I would actually put my freedom in jeopardy and scream out, you only live once. Well, the fact is, we do only live once. We have one opportunity in this world to make a difference, to make an impact. We only have one opportunity to love on people, to uh, either contribute or take away. You know, and for me, I just wish, I wish there was a way that I could rewind the hands of time. Obviously, so Megan and Lisa could give their lot, you know, could have their lives back and we could see them grow 
and, and be beautiful mothers. I, you know, I wish that was a possibility, but it's not. You know, but I also wish that I could go back to be y'all's age and have the opportunity to not look the gift horse in the mouth and to say, you know what, life is a gift. And I do only have this one shot. What am I going to do with it? You know, am I going to experiment with a bunch of drugs until I accidentally OD? Am I going to drink myself into oblivion, you know, night after night? Or am I going to take this opportunity that I have and make something amazing happen with it? You know, and that's what I always, that's what my whole objective is whenever I come and speak in person, online, is to encourage people and inspire them to understand that YOLO is for real and it's serious and you do only get one opportunity. You know, for me, one of the biggest things that I want to I want to point out also is forgiveness. You know, as Kim said, my original sentence was 22 years. So my original release date was 2022. And that's because in Florida, you do 85% of your time if you do if you're good while you're in prison, you get gang time. So you actually can get some time back if if you if you're good while you're doing it. And so Originally, like my max out date for what they call it was 2025, but I was able to accrue game time by, by doing the right thing, minding my own business and doing what I was told for all those years. So it, it was reduced down to 2022, but you would ask yourself, well, what are you doing right now sitting in your house with a Superman shirt on, you know, answering Facebook posts that your neighbor from 20 years ago hits you up and you're like, what? This is crazy. And the truth is, forgiveness is why I'm sitting here. You know, Renee Napier, Megan's mother, and the Dixon family, and it wasn't just Renee. It was Renee. It was her sister. It was her brother. It was her mother. It was her father. It was her, her other children. Megan had a twin sister, Carmen, uh, an older sister, Michelle, and their oldest brother's name was Alan. And every single one of them decided in 2006, what are the chances of this? to come back to court and speak on my behalf. And they asked the judge to reduce my sentence. Instead of doing two 11-year sentences consecutively, they asked if I could do them together, which is called concurrently here in Florida, so that I could get out in 2012 and maybe have, be a productive member of society. And so I think there's pictures up there on the screen where that is actually not my mother, that's Renee given me a hug after the judge granted my reduction. And again, what are the chances of that? I mean, talk about slim to none. And they were there to, in essence, give me time back in my life. And, and time that I did not deserve because the penalty is 15 years. I only got it. So I, I was actually blessed with the opportunity that they gave me. And so, you know, it's one of those things, you do the crime, you do the time. You might not even know what the time is until you actually commit the crime. And hopefully that will never be the case for anybody watching. Um, hopefully they will learn from past experience, maybe this message, um, that it's just not even worth taking the chance. But Renee and her family and the Dixon family came and spoke on my behalf. And in 2006, they reduced my sentences so that I could get out. More amazing is that Renee started the Megan Napier Foundation, which you'll see uh, the banner go across the screen. She started that in honor of her daughter. And in 2004, she started it. She started going around speaking 
but she always thought it would be best if she and I could somehow speak together. And there it is just popped up on the screen. Um, she thought it would be best if we could speak together, but of course I'm in prison. So how's that supposed to work? So she got with the governor's office of Florida. She got with the Department of Corrections and they figured out a way to let me, what happened was is a judge would write a transport order. A deputy from a certain county would come pick me up, take me to their jail, book me in. And now let me tell y'all something. I hope none of y'all have ever experienced a jail, but uh, believe it or not, they're even worse than prison because there's a lot of uncertainty going on. People's minds are, they're losing their minds. They don't know if they're about to go to prison. They don't know the truth is of, of what's about to happen. So in jail, it's, it, it's a much more volatile environment to be in. And so I'm being booked into these new jails. I'm this inmate from prison that's there to go speak in a school. And so everybody's like curious, like, what is this? Luckily, by the grace of God, it was well received by the inmate. They're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I was like, thank the Lord for thinking that. Instead of, what, you think you're all privileged and stuff? And I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm about to go tell people how I ruined my life and took two others. I mean, what, what, what kind of person do you think I am that would get excited about that, you know? But what excited me was, and this started in 2010, was that Renee was willing to forgive me to the extent that she was going to help me contribute to something positive. You know, and as I say that, I think about all of you guys in that at this moment in your life, you don't have to worry about somebody else going through all this to help you make a difference. You can just decide to do it, you know, and I wish, man, I wish that I, I could have gone back. But how grateful I am that Renee and her family would actually do that for me, you know, and that's why I've been dedicated to this cause. And so in 2010, we started doing that. And I got out in 2012. In that time period, we've actually had the opportunity. Now, I couldn't leave the state of Florida because I was an inmate. We had the opportunity in, in those, it was about a year and a half to speak. It was like, well, I guess it was April of 2010 where I did my first presentation with her at Megan and Lisa's high school, the high school that they graduated from. I went back to in shackles and chains and just put myself on display to show people what you can reduce your life to when you make the wrong choices. And it was well received. And so we actually visited 40, I want to say 41 of the 67 counties in Florida um, while I was still an inmate. Um, whenever I was uh, whenever I was getting out of prison, Renee and I sat down and she looked across the table at me and she said, Hey, Eric, you know, it's been a, it's been a blessing for you to be able to join me. You're being released now, and I just want you to know there's no strings attached, that you don't have to continue doing these presentations. And so she told me, and even her ex-husband told me, he was like, we don't expect you to continue doing these presentations if you don't want to. And, and they gave me that, that choice. And obviously, y'all can tell what my choice was, and that's to continue to speak wherever I can get an audience. And I do that because Megan and Lisa can no longer have an impact on society. And so I'm responsible for that. I want to not only make a positive, I, I want to try to make a positive impact on behalf of myself and my family for all the, the knowledge that they gave me that I 
so, you know, just absurdly didn't apply to my own life. But then I, I want to do it for Megan and Lisa, and I want to do it for the Napiers and the Dixons so that they feel like they made the right choice in allowing me to be a free person so I can sit right here, reconnect with Kim, connect with you guys, connect with, you know, hopefully millions of other people on behalf of all of us, you know, with the Megan Napier Foundation and, you know, my family, their families, uh, just because we want to make a difference. And I know this is a, a Facebook Live uh, presentation, but I hope that, you know, today has kind of ignited, you know, or sparked some kind of desire in you to uh, just be do-gooders, you know, to, to be the next generation of people that, like Kim said, you know, be the nice person, be the kind person, be the forgiving person that loves more and doesn't tolerate hate, doesn't tolerate racism, doesn't tolerate any of that. Just love on people, forgive, forgive yourself if you've made mistakes in the past, and let's just all join together and do good. You know, that's my, that's my hope, that's my desire. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So you clearly have been doing this now, but you don't just go to high schools. You've actually gone to some pretty big places to, to do this same speech. Yeah. Where have you gone? Um, I mean, Renee and I have had amazing opportunities. We actually, we go to military bases a lot because uh, in the military, you, uh, you are deployed, you're put into very stressful situations. Um, a lot of people, get relief when they have a couple drinks, you know, and they feel like they need to let the steam off. And of course we all can agree that that could be helpful for some people. But what we do is we go there to encourage them to make sure not to and then put themselves or other people at risk. You know, especially in the military, they've signed up to protect and serve their country. And if they come back and drink and drive, that's kind of like being like an oxymoron, like they just became the enemy that they're supposed to defend against. And so I just point that out to them, not as not to throw stones, but just to try to make society more safe, to try to make them appreciate the career that they have. Let we know let let them know that we appreciate them. Um, but we get to go to uh I've been to Oklahoma State University. I've gone to Florida State a couple of times. You um, know where I'm gonna ask you the most important place that I feel you've gone. What, the aircraft carrier? No. No? Where? You know where. Where oh, Tom yeah, Brady Yeah, no, no. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, so actually, I was up there not that long ago because we got hooked up with the athletic director of the NFL, and I actually had the opportunity to speak in front of the Patriots. And that was an amazing opportunity that I, I, I never thought I would ever have the chance to do that. But what we have to understand is, is that everybody wakes up in the morning and puts their pants on one foot at a time. I don't know anybody that can jump out of bed both feet at one time. I'd love to see it if that's possible. But um, those guys have been given such an amazing opportunity, and their talent is amazing. I mean, look at them. Um, but at the same time, I don't. What we encourage them to do is to bottle that, that talent up, bottle up that opportunity, 
and let it pour out onto society in a positive way. They've been given an amazing platform, you know, and sometimes, and y'all seen it, and I'm not, not, not with the Patriots per se, but people are given mad amounts of money for their talent, their, their God-given talent, and then they, they lose their mind, and they take this opportunity and they blow it when they're given this platform to do such good things. And so our, our, our message is multifaceted. What we, what we try to inspire people to do is to be grateful for the opportunities that are given, whether you're Tom Brady, whether you're um, you know, uh, a, a UFC fighter, the best in the world, whether you're a hockey player, whether you play for the Red Sox. I mean, whoever you are, you're, you have a choice to make. You know, there's opportunities that are going to come your way. Life is nothing but a series of choices, you know, and there's chance on either side of that. But as long as you're doing the next right thing and the next best thing and putting others in front of yourself, you, you really can't go wrong. And that's what we try to encourage people to do because just in, in my experience, you know, selfish behavior leads to negative consequences, you know, and it doesn't matter what that behavior is. Um, in my in my case, I have I have way too much knowledge about what the choice to drink and drive can produce, you know, but there are so many other people. Everybody has a story. You know, what we do is we travel, like I said, at, you know, Patriots. We talked to the Tennessee Titans. Um, we, we've gone to air. Uh, we, were, we were flown out to an aircraft carrier, got to land on the aircraft carrier in a plane. Talk about crazy. Um, talked to 4,000 sailors on board that aircraft carrier. Um, we've been on the Katie Couric show. Uh, that was a long time ago. But you can still probably find footage from that. And you know what? This has nothing to do with me. This all has to do with my biggest mistake. But what it does have to do with is the choice to forgive myself. I can't take it back, but what can I do? I can produce something positive in memory of, to contribute positively to society on behalf of Megan and Lisa. On behalf of the wrong that I've done, I can do right. And so um, I've, we've had some seriously amazing opportunities, and I hope that that's not, this isn't the end. I hope yeah. to be up there with the Boston Red Sox before too long. You know, uh, or back with the Patriots. I mean, they switch players all the time. You know, right. Maybe old Bill will have us up. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Buddy Bill, right? Yeah. Let me ask you just one more question before we kind of wrap. And unfortunately, I can't, I had a plan to take questions, but the echo when I'm in there is too much. Almost as much as the door that I'm about to rip off the fucking hinges. Um, Renee took a chance and gave you a chance and said, you can put this behind you, move on with your life. You've done your part. How much of what you do do you think is so that she knows that that was a chance worth taking for her? I would say a lot of it. Um, a lot of what I do, not only because it wasn't just her, you know, it wasn't just Renee. Like her ex-husband, um, and they, and I don't know why I feel like it's necessary to, to say, but they divorced before the accident, you know? So that's one thing that I don't have on my, on my conscience, um, you know, but, um, he, face right before they reduced my sentence. And this is what he said to me. And, and, and this was, I had already done, there's a letter that I wrote from prison. 
there's a uh, there were some things, um, but what he said was, he said, look. I don't expect you to talk about this all the time. I don't expect you. He's like, I want you to get on with your life. He was like, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to live a life that makes me not regret my decision. And, and, and that's how he put it. And uh, there, so Megan's older brother, Alan, had a really hard time forgiving me. We're the same age, you know? And so, I mean... How do you do that? How do you look at one of your contemporaries that took the life of your baby sister and give them a hug and say, I forgive you? Uh, you know, I mean, what are the chances of that? And But he did that. And so for me, I'm, I'm not only doing it for Renee, but I'm doing it for Mr. Napier. I'm doing it for Alan, Michelle, Carmen. I'm doing it for Lisa. I'm doing it for Megan. I'm doing it for Philip Dixon, Lisa, um, Mary Dixon. Uh, she has two siblings. One, of, her brother's actually her brother's name is Eric, um, and her little sister's name was Susan or is Susan. And uh, I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for my family. You know, they gave me the opportunity of a lifetime that so many people don't have, and I blew it. I mean, I totally blew it. I took it for granted. And uh, you know, so I want to make them proud on this side of it too. And so that's that's what I do it for. I do it for me. Because it's therapeutic to me to be able to talk to people about it and to see the light come on. You know, in, in every crowd, I'll see the light come on. And, you know, my hope and my prayer is that the light comes on in everybody and that they all decide to change based on what they've heard, not by a, a, a situation that happens. You know, and so. That's my hope, is that I can touch the world in a positive way um, without them having to actually learn, you know, the hard way, so to speak. Right. Um, all right. So I just want to ask you questions. Um, they can leave them under the Facebook Live and you'll get back to them under that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, okay. pretty, I'm pretty technologically savvy, but... Uh, you know, they can email me, um, just my name at gmail.com. So it's real easy. And I'm Eric Smallridge at gmail.com. So, uh, and I mean, if you Google my name, you'll you'll see the whole story again. Um, there's a letter that I wrote from prison that I would encourage people to read. Um, it's just about the life of an inmate and uh, what you, you know, what you, what prison's really like. Um, there's the, the Megan Napier Foundation website that people can go to um, and watch all the videos. I know a lot of people didn't get to see the choices. Hear it. I know your class did, but anybody that sees it after the fact um, can just go online. I know we posted the uh, the address to it, but um, okay, yeah. All right, I will make sure that I post the YouTube video and all that. I'm going to close this out. Um, I. I'm going to take the Facebook Live off of the big screen in my classroom so that the echo isn't there. So why don't you watch it on your computer? Okay. On you, Eric. What? No worries. Why don't you watch it instead of watching it through this Be Live portal? Why don't you watch it on the on the Facebook Live? And I'm going to go ahead in my classroom and do the the closing. Okay. On Facebook Live. Yes. I'm going to take you off the screen too. Okay. All right. Perfect. But keep watching.
All right, guys, I'm coming back in. Morgan, take the Facebook Live off the screen. Yes, I'm going to take you off the screen too, okay? But keep on. All right, guys, we're coming back. All right. You can take, can we close that off? How do you do it? Press the high. Yep. All right, so I'm going to move my chair so that the people at home can still see me talk, but I'm going to face all of you. So takeaways, right? Obviously, takeaways from life, but before we get to the takeaways from life, I hope that you took away Facebook Live, all right? So what did you take away from Facebook Live? You can split screen it out. It's engaging, right? He's in a completely different place than I was. I mean, I wish I wasn't in the hallway where people were rudely opening doors and stepping over me like I wasn't there. But it is what it is. But you can see how two different people can be ported into the same thing, right? What else did you learn? Yep. So it's a third-party service called Be Live TV. And you can make custom screens. I can put over the comments and all of that stuff. Um, I can pretty much customize anything. So, you know, Facebook Live built in has some good stuff. But... You can use other services to trick it out really, really good. So you can see how it could be used for an interview or something like that. That's obviously the most important thing. The takeaways. Oh, go ahead. What, no, Miss Donovan, you raised your hand. Exactly. And I can, I couldn't get the YouTube video to work, but you can import video. You can do all this. So take away from Facebook Live. That's that. What I want you guys to take away from the whole thing isn't just the drinking and driving thing. That's obviously how I reconnected with Eric when I found out that he had to go through that, which just to this minute, when I think about it, it breaks my heart because he was so good to me. And, you know, sometimes in the world, you don't have that many people that are good to you. So you remember the people that are. I want you to take away three things from it, okay? I want you to take away choices, chances, and time. You guys, I look back on the last 20 years. I can't go back in time and deal with what I was feeling and talk to people about it. Maybe I would have had a better college experience. I don't know. I can't go back and do that. Eric can't go back in time and not get in his car that night. You know, we're older now. He's older than me. I'm just kidding. He's actually not. But, <laughs> but he looks older than me. Um, no, he doesn't do that either. But you guys are young. You know, you guys have a ton of time ahead of you. You know, you guys have time to make the right choices. You guys have time to give somebody a chance. You guys have time to be kind to someone if you don't even know that they need it. You have time to thank people for being kind to you when maybe they didn't know you needed it. You have time to take advantage of every chance that you guys are given from this point out for your careers, for your life, and you're going to be handed a lot of them. And every choice that you make will set your future into play. So you can go on the rest of your life and act like you have all the time in the world. Well, I'll worry about my career later or, you know what, I'll just go out and party tonight or whatever. Or 
now that you've seen what can happen with certain decisions, with choices that you make, you can see how much somebody taking a chance on you can affect your future. Eric would still be in prison if Renee Napier and her family didn't give him a chance to redeem himself. He'd still be there. And I would have never reconnected with him. And I would have never had the chance to say thank you because he didn't know. So what are you guys going to do from this point forward? Yeah, you just learned about Facebook Live and I'm glad that you did, but I hope you take away something far more important than that. I hope you guys learn that time's your side right now. You're 20, 21, 22. Don't mess up your future by making one silly decision. You know, don't not open your eyes to the rest of the people in this classroom, in this school, in the city. You know, there's a lot of good people out there. Give people chances. Take advantage of every chance you get. I always use the example that, you know, my company pretty much took off because Dana White, who's the president of the UFC, you guys hear me talk all the time, probably like sick of me licking his balls, but he decided one day to give my company a chance. What do you think would have happened if I was like, you know what? I'm tired. Like, I didn't sleep last night. I had another project to do. Um, another professor needed me or another PR firm needed me and I only gave him 75%. Do you think he would have cut me another check? Do you think I ever would have worked with people like Conor McGregor and had all these opportunities? He gave me a chance and I took it and I ran with it because my future is important to me. He's important to me. My staff is important to me. I want them to be able to have something to build when I'm gone. People are going to give you guys chances. All right. What are you going to do with it? You're going to be faced with a lot of choices. What are you going to do with them? You've got all the time in the world to build a better future for yourselves, you know, to take advantage of everything that the world has to offer. Don't throw it away. You know, really don't. Can't go back in time. But you can take advantage of the time that you guys have left. All right. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye, Eric. I still have this on if anybody wants to come and see what the uh, what the background looks like. I gotta go. Oh, I love you, Eric. I'm so glad we were able to do this, my friends. I'll talk to you soon, okay? I'm gonna put you on the screen. Do you guys wanna come here and say, you can't see him, but Eric is on at home. Do you wanna say thank you? Thank you. That's okay. more, wait. No. <laughs> That's Morgan. That's Jessica.
Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much.